A funeral reminds us of the life cycle, doesn't it? It reminds us of how we suffer this side of heaven. We're born needing help. We grow into adulthood and start having babies of our own. And then as our bodies and our minds fade, we find ourselves needing help all over again. And we spend so much of our time when we're young, you know, fighting for independence. And parents of youth right now know exactly what that's like. And then we end up at the end of our days fighting for independence again. It's a little ironic, isn't it? That we spend the early and later years of our life fighting against the inevitable, despite our obvious need for help. If we're honest, though, most of us, myself included, cherish our independence, don't we? I mean, none of us wear t-shirts that say, I love being dependent. That's not a banner you'll find on any business. That's not something that I can think of any nation in this world would extol or hold up as a cultural value. Rather, we love our independence. And yet, here's the rub, we're made to be dependent. We are made to be dependent. It's baked into our frail bodies and our sin-sick souls. Now, if you remember from our first week in our Mission and Vision series, our mission is, and there's that slide going to come up here, cultivating followers of Christ among all peoples. Our strategy, or our map, is in four steps. Connecting, converting, discipling, and sending. And last week, we finished unpacking our three marks, the three things that mark us as Christ's followers, Christ-likeness, one another, and spiritual maturity. In those marks, we noticed how God is the primary mover, changing us into little Christs, using one another in the process, right? We can't do this on our own. That's not how we were made to function And how then, last week, we partner with him in our actions, being not only hearers, but doers of God's word. Today, we're going to discuss our first two of our six biblical values as a church. These values are what we've heard from God's word and desire to be doing in our personal lives, our family lives, our small groups, youth groups, men's and women's, adults, Sunday school, children's, Sunday school, Awana, in any sense of that And any sense of our ministry and our worship, these are what we desire. These are what we, this is what reflects what matters to us most. We identified in our process as elders and leaders six values from the scriptures. Some we currently embody well and others we aspire to embody. I've grouped them in pairs so that over the next three weeks we'll cover two at a time. This week I chose two that I think pair well together. Dependent and spirit-led. Dependent and spirit-led. These are our first two of our six values that we're going to unpack. And I would argue that you cannot have dependence without being led by the Spirit and vice versa. Would you stand with me and read God's Word, or stand with me as I read God's Word? Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And then we will pray. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Uriah and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Hmm. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word incarnate, that you lived what we read from Genesis chapter 1 to the very end of Revelation. Some things we have seen, some things we have yet to be seen, but yet you have brought your word, you have inspired it in 66 books through men over centuries. It is an incredible gift to us. And we pray, as we always do, standing in awe of your gift to us as it reveals you to us. And we pray, Spirit, that you would continue your work of bearing fruit through the reading and the teaching and the praying over your word. May our hearts be soft to your touch today as our eyes see and our ears hear what you have for us today. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you missed some of our previous sermons on the Mission and Vision series, I'd highly encourage you to go to our website and you can, you can catch up. Because this is the heart of this church, and it has been for many, many decades. We're not bringing anything altogether new or groundbreaking, but rather renewing the mission and vision of this church. We want to see another 120 years of gospel faithfulness in this community. Um, well, our first reading this morning came from that little prayer bookmark that you have in your bulletin. And I'm so thankful that one of our sisters takes time every week to pray over what we are going to be walking through this week and composes a prayer. Use those prayer bookmarks to prompt you week in and week out, day in and day out, to pray for these various things. I just thought when I read the reference to Psalm 42, I thought this is perfect. It's perfect for introducing our first value, and that is dependent or dependence. Just last night, as the sun was setting, I sat on my back porch. I love to do this when the weather's nice. I get to look out at the river and the cat. I actually let the cat be on my lap. I'm not really a cat guy usually, but the cat was being decent and I had thick enough jeans that the claws weren't raking my flesh. And the cat and I are sitting there and the sun's setting. And sure enough, as you know, living in Minnesota, deer just appear so quiet. And we have an apple tree down by the river. And they're checking for those apples. 
So the cat and I are watching the deer. The deer have no idea that we're there. We're being very quiet. And Psalm 42, no surprise, came to my mind. Looking back to what we read earlier in the service, Psalm 42 begins by saying, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. A deer pants for water because, like all of us, we need water. It needs water to survival. You and I can fast from food for weeks at a time, but give us two or three days without water and every one of us will die. Like the deer who is dependent on water, the psalmist then moves to our dependence on God. My soul, verse 2, thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist is in the midst of a spiritual drought. The psalmist, most scholars believe, is probably in the exile, probably somehow exiled or unable to be with God and his people. The psalmist here is detailing his sadness. Verse 3, especially as his enemies taunt him, saying, where is your God? You've heard that before, haven't you? Especially in the midst of tragedy. Where was God when that happened? That hurts us as Christians. For we don't often have easy or quick answers except to say, well, God was still there. And now that could be in another sermon in and of itself on what scholars call the problem of evil. But nevertheless, the psalmist, verse 4, pours his soul out in prayer, longing to be back just like we are today in public worship, wants to lead God's people into the house of God, verse 4, verse 5, lifting his voice in songs of praise with God's people. The psalmist, like us, knows that absence for a time, sure, it can make the heart grow fonder, but prolonged absence, and especially from God and his people, it's incredibly difficult. Didn't we, haven't we all experienced that in COVID? Not only in our relationships, because some of us are still so compromised by our immunity that we just don't feel we can risk being out. And other times, we just so desperately want to just see and be heard face-to-face, to touch and be touched with a hug or a handshake. The psalmist knows this absence because the psalmist, like you and I, knows that we are dependent. We need God. We need to sense his presence, and especially as it is evident among his people. Notice verse 5, and I could preach a whole sermon on this, but we're going to close with verse 5 here. What does the psalmist say to himself? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? I love this. You ever do this? Because I need to do this more often. I, I am by nature emotional first, and then I think second. So first it's emotion, anger, or fear, or frustration, or whatever. And then I process. I need to be like this psalmist and ask my emotions, what's going on? Why are you so upset? What's what's really going on? And then notice how he kind of preaches the gospel to himself. Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. The psalmist here reveals what is true of any man, woman, or child born again. Our hope is never tied just to ourselves. It's not something we can look inward to find, contrary to so many popular movies. 
Rather, our hope, like the psalmist's hope, is in God, our salvation. We are dependent, depending on him to come through time and time again for us, his people. As the psalmist exemplifies, then, worship and prayer are fundamental signs of our dependence on God. It's why we pray every Sunday together. It is why many of you pray before meals. It is why many of you close your day in prayer, kneeling at your bedside. Because prayer shows, first and foremost, our dependence, our true belief that there is a God, and he's listening, and he hears. I'd like now to turn to the passage we stood for, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 4. And I want us to hear now Paul's words regarding prayer. And that's in the larger context of our value of being dependent upon God. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. We read this. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, uh, let your reasonableness, that's hard to say, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we could spend, again, a whole sermon here, but I want to highlight the treasure that is in this passage. And for many of us, this is a dear passage, especially when you're in a tough spot. Paul roots everything he says here, all five commands, there are five here in the the text, in the following truth in verse 4, the Lord is at hand. If you're an underliner, underline that. If you're a note taker, write that down. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, we can rejoice. Paul's first command. Therefore, we can resist anxiety because the Lord's here. The Lord is near might be a better translation. We can pray with thanksgiving. Why? Because God will hear us. And we can continue to unpack this as Paul does. The foundation For our prayer is the solid, unmoving belief, hope, not a percentage game, but a sure hope that God is always near and can and indeed loves to answer our prayers. He doesn't always answer them the way we want. Live long enough and you've experienced that. You pray something specific and God says, nope. But nevertheless, knowing he is good, knowing he cares, We pray. We depend on him. Dwell on that fact that he is near, that the Lord is at hand. Can you think of a time as a child when you got scared or you were hurt? And it may have been only 10 seconds, but you couldn't find mom or dad. So you're in pain or you're afraid and you cannot find your mom or your dad. It's terrifying. I remember being, I don't know how young I was. We were at a hotel. I think we had just come up from the pool. There was a scrum to get in the elevator. You know how it is. And I think I got pushed to the back, I I think. And um, so my family walked out along with all these other people and the doors closed. And I was the last one in the elevator. I didn't know what floor we were on. I didn't know what floor to go to. And I see some smiles around here because maybe you've had that happen to you or one of your kids. I don't know if I screamed or not, but if I did, I'm sure several floors heard it because I've always had a big mouth. But it's terrifying. I mean, it really is. Now, we're older. We we know, you know, we can calm and walk ourselves through these things. But 
like a child. And by the way, that's how our faith is supposed to be, isn't it? Like a child. As Christians, we can be comforted by Paul's words that God is always near. God is always near, even when, friends, even when you and I can't feel it. Even when you're walking through a dark night of the soul, your emotions are telling you everything's bad, how, and, and, and they're overwhelming your, your mind. Go back to God's word. Remind yourselves of these words here. God, the Lord, is near. And it's just one of the greatest news or one of the greatest parts of being a Christian is that comfort, that dependence that as a child of God, your heavenly Father is with you. Notice then, Paul begins to unpack this more, and I wanted to focus on these last couple of verses before we move on to one more, uh, one or two more passages to unpack what it means to be spirit-led. So still staying here under our dependence and how that is shown in our prayer. Paul says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I take surpassing all understanding to mean that God's peace can surpass our reasoning. That, as Calvin writes, nothing is more foreign to the human mind than to hope in the depth of despair, in the depth of poverty to see riches, and in the depth of weakness not to give way. So the Christian can find peace in the most dire circumstances. It's not our reason and our logic that drove it. It is a gift from God. It surpasses, it trumps all of that. Can you think, you've probably experienced a moment where the events around you were terrible, but all of a sudden there's just a peace. I think of the couple who lost their children in a tragic car accident. They're both believers, the mom and dad. They lost several of their children, and it was the event that actually led to the license for bribe scandal that put uh, the first of two governors in Illinois in prison, but that's another story. But this husband and wife knew they'd lost several of their children. And one of them, I forget which one, said they looked at each other and God just gave them incredible peace. That didn't mean they didn't grieve, but God gave them a peace which just transcended all their understanding. No logical explanation for it. God gave that to him. And God promises that to us, friends, when we trust in him in prayer. It may take time. It may take perseverance. But God can and desires to and will give you peace. And that peace can trump all the other things that are going through our mind, even in the midst of the worst circumstances. This is good news all over again, isn't it? And not only does God save us from the punishment we deserve through Jesus and then restore us to himself, but he's ready and able to help any of those who don't help themselves but depend upon him in prayer. Let me say that again. God is ready and willing and loves to help those who don't help themselves but depend upon him in prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 5, 
verses 16 through 25. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. And now we move into how our dependence works hand in hand with being led by the Spirit. Paul says, but I say, verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, verse 18, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So it's not an exhaustive list. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Read that as in, will not go to heaven. But, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So when we are born again, as we noted a few weeks ago, God doesn't just leave us where we're at. Rather, he sends the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to dwell within each of us, just as he promised he would in the prophets of old, and just as Jesus promised he would in John's gospel. And think about it. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, I wish I could have walked with the Lord. Don't forget, Jesus said, it is better that I leave and send the Spirit. Do you see now a little more clearly why? Because the Spirit, who is before the Father and the Son, and unpacks the truth of the Father and the Son and of the Scriptures dwells within all of us. All of us get a taste instead of just that small group of disciples who got to be around Jesus. It's exponentially more awesome that we can have the Spirit within us. Well, how do you know if you're walking by the Spirit, Pastor? Well, let's look at Galatians. Simply put, by your actions. You're free to not sin. How do you know if you're walking by the Spirit? You are free and therefore empowered to not sin. You no longer have to do what your flesh, what your natural desires want to do. So when you walk, when I walk, when we walk by the Spirit, we're able to say no to those natural human desires. Paul calls here the desires of the flesh. And even more profoundly, especially for those of us who tend to be legalists, the Spirit frees us from our sinful nature's use of the law to keep us as slaves to sin. Remember, Jesus kept the law perfectly. He was the perfect lamb, sacrificed once and for all for our sins. So while we do fail, we are not judged on our merit, but on Christ's merit, on his perfect obedience of the law. And finally, as we just read, God sends his spirit. So not only does Jesus save you and I from condemnation, he also sets us free from our bondage. 
More and more in movies these days, Christianity is portrayed as kind of a slavish religion. And you're, you're, you're encouraged to just throw it off. Throw off those, those boundaries. Throw off those, those shackles, if you will. Friends, the scriptures say that is totally backwards. It's totally backwards. You throw off the bonds. You throw off the Christian faith. You throw off any desire to be dependent upon God, and you are now guaranteed to be a slave of whatever your desires want. They will wear you down, and they will wear you out. But with Christ and the Spirit, as we walk with the Spirit, we find power to resist. And just think about this. Jesus was perfect, which means you and I, we will, we will resist sin for temptation for a period of time and then we fall and we repent and we receive again the forgiveness that Christ has for us. He never failed once. The temptation kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and he never faltered once. It's remarkable. It's only accomplishable by Jesus. So, <clears throat> Paul shows us what it is to walk by our flesh in slavery to our desires. And I love the, the song by Sandra McCracken called Dynamite, where she just unpacks how our desires are like dynamite. And we don't really see what they do in our lives until the smoke settles and everything's been blown up. They're so, they feel so good in that moment but they just wreak destruction. And you read that list with me. All those things that we will do to ourselves and to others. For sin never just touches one person. It touches everybody and all those around us. But the fruit of the Spirit, the good news, verse 22. And notice it's fruit singular because this is what the Spirit is doing in us. Love. Love first and foremost, friends. We've been talking on this and have seen this theme in the past several weeks. Love is what we are called. It is the greatest of the fruit of the Spirit. And then joy. And then peace. There it is. And patience. And now we're moving from uh, into our relationship with others, aren't we? Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And the list could go on, couldn't it? I love what John Stott says here. He says, So by the Spirit we may say that the primary direction of love, joy, and peace is Godward, and of patience and kindness and goodness as selfward. And all of these are the fruit of the Spirit, the natural produce that appears in the life of Spirit-led Christians. No wonder Paul adds then, against such there is no law, for the function of the law is to curb, to restrain to detour, and no deterrent is needed here. There's no muzzle on the Spirit. These fruits overflow. So we see the war, though, don't we, within us? Because we're living day to day. We have our old desires and the Spirit, which is working to say, resist. And there is this battle within us that Paul unpacks in Romans and elsewhere. So I want to turn to one more passage, and that is Romans chapter 8. And you might summarize this passage by the words John Owen wrote, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it 
will be killing you. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, the old ways. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Saying it in a different way than he did in Galatians. You and I, friends, can, by the Spirit's power, put to death those sins that we have lived in, maybe many of us, for, for years. Those temptations, which is not sin, just by way of reminder, a temptation is not sin until you linger and act on it. Okay, James reminds us that, chapter 1. But we have an incredible hope. God gives us the Spirit, and he leads us, and he can help us to put to death sin, lest it be killing us. And moving forward here, 14 uh, in Romans, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, that old spirit, that old flesh, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the last, and not only, but one of the last parts that we'll unpack here about what it means to be spirit-led is that the spirit continually reminds us of who we really are, of whose we really are. You were not left here to rot. You are adopted, Christian. You are an adopted son and daughter, child of the living God. Whatever your biological family was like, whether wonderful or awful, the good news is you're in a new family. And we are that family as represented here in Thief River, as one church in Thief River Falls, and there are millions and millions. It is why you can meet somebody you've never met before from a different culture, but you realize you share the faith of Christ and there's an immediate bond. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. The good news of the gospel is that we are not only saved, but that then we can be sanctified as seen by our dependence on our Father and working, partnering with the power of the Spirit. So friends, take an orientation. Take a, take a survey right now. If you're discouraged with some sin in your life, if there's something you've been struggling with for a while and you feel like it's beating you way more than you're beating it, friend, take hope. Don't give up. But don't labor alone. Remember, one of our marks is one another. We're in this together. Don't fight sin by yourself if it's beating you. Find a brother, find a sister, share in confidence, pray for each other, encourage one another. It's one of the good things that AA groups model so well. You, you, you start to get into trouble, you call me. I'll be there for you. We as Christians should be that same comfort for one another. So whatever God is laying on your heart, whatever you might be struggling with, and maybe that is just simply you've been living independent, then today, then today, bow your knee, bow your heart, and remember these words from Mark's gospel. Whoever would save his life will lose it, 
But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words recorded in the scriptures, for the way you and the Father sent the Spirit to inspire the other books of the Bible outside of the Gospels as well, so that your word comes to us and it convicts us and it encourages us with whatever darkness we might be walking through right now, this week, this month, this year. Lord Jesus, bring it to the light so that we can bring those things to you and find not only forgiveness, but find the power through your spirit to resist and the joy and the hope and the peace that you promise to all those who are dependent upon you and led by your spirit. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.